This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. Greetings and welcome to Sheer Listening Pleasure with your host, me, Neil Shear. I'm a recently retired academic dermatologist. Over my career, I have been inspired by my many colleagues and trainees who are dedicated to helping people with major life-altering skin conditions. Some people don't recognize dermatology as a real medical specialty. Oh, but is it ever? From the many stories of patients and providers, I hope we can inspire others. We will travel across Canada to delve into inspirational contributions to improve the quality of life of others. Very few specialties have as many diverse diseases as dermatology. So without any gory photos, just friendly chats, we will take you into a world behind the scenes, a world of caring, compassion, and inspiration. And of course, I want to give a very special shout out to our sponsors supporting the podcast from Amgen Canada. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. With knowledge beyond measure, discussions you will treasure. It's sheer, sheer, sheer listening pleasure. I'm very happy today, to, actually very, very happy to have Dr. Perla Lansang, who's going to be talking with me today. And Perla is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto. And I could say in dermatology, but it's in many areas involving her, including working at Sunnybrook, other clinics, Sick Children's Hospital, tremendous diversity in her skill set and how she keeps all that going and is currently the acting head at Sunnybrook. So Perla, thank you very much for taking time out to do this. I know how incredibly busy you are, both with family and work and travel and all these other things. I could never say no to you, Neil. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. You're very kind. Thank you. I wanted to talk, you know, one of the things that I've always been interested in is people's career development and things that happen. And I've looked at it many ways. I'm sure you've heard me talk about the half pipe where you sort of look back and see that, yeah, I was there, I was there, I was there. And then it stops and you think, oh, that's how I ended up here. And and it is like that. But I just read something that really made me think about this. And before I forget, I, I want to say, does the date March 10th, 2003 mean anything to you? Is that the day we first met? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was March 10th, 2003 in the Philippines. And you had crossed through the uh, hell of traffic there to tell me that you were going to be moving to Toronto. And we had a chance to chat then and, and various things spun off after that. And I'd probably rather want to hear that from your perspective rather than mine. But I do want to set an environment here. And I was reading something recently. It was a quote supposedly from Darwin that it's not the strongest nor the smartest that survive. It's those who can respond to change. And it's really about adaptation. And I thought, wow, that's really an interesting perspective when you think about how we get through life and all the things we do and how much of it really is adaptation. 
especially now given COVID and other restraints in a nutty world where people just can't wait to kill other people. You know, how do you adapt to all of that? And there's so much going on and we're still, you know, obviously learning about this, but it's sort of about that. And so I guess my first thing is to ask you about, you know, how do you end up in Toronto? You know, what were you doing in the Philippines at the time? And how do you end up in Toronto and then go from there? That's a really interesting quote you bring up because I firmly believe that. And I feel like I've ended up here really because of that. I mean, when we first met in Toronto, I had graduated maybe two years before that. And I was doing my master's in clinical epidemiology um, and was really looking for, for, you know, fellowship experiences outside Manila. So I could bring something back to the Philippine General Hospital where I was going to work. So I remember Googling people back in the days when I had to dial up into the internet (laughs) and I came across your name and the drug safety clinic. And that was something that we didn't have in our hospital. Serendipitously, my husband also had a fellowship in Toronto. So I was like, sure, I'll email this Neil Shear, whoever this guy is. And of all times for you to come to Manila, I remember receiving your email saying, perfect, I'm going to be in Manila in 10 days. Why don't we meet? And I I just, I remember feeling a chill through my spine because, you know, back in 2003 from the Philippines, we would have to like FedEx our fellowship application. We would have to, you know, sometimes fly for the interview. And, and here you were, like, who was going to come to the Philippines to give a lecture? I felt that it was a sign from the universe. And so I did brave the traffic, meet you, and We had a wonderful conversation over lunch. And I remember thinking, you know, because the the meeting you were speaking at wasn't at our institution. It was a totally different institution. And they're probably looking at me thinking, who is this young graduate who's hogging our speaker (laughs) who we've flown here from Toronto? But, you know, you just grab any opportunity you can. and, And as you say, it's not about who's the smartest or who's the hardest working. I think it's about taking opportunities when they come and making the best of it, which has kind of really what has happened to my career in the past I don't know, 15 years now. Yeah, I remember that very vividly because it is an unusual circumstance. And, and then trying to also talk about circumstances when you did come you know, to Toronto, part of it was to get funding to help support you. And I wrote to Elena Pope, who was, just became the new head of pediatric dermatology. And I said, listen, there's this person coming and you should really try and do something. And and I said, I'm going to try and get some support to see if we could do that. And then called up a company. Actually, I guess I messaged a company. I don't know how in those days, but I did. And they didn't respond right away, but then came back later and said, you know what happened? We were thinking about doing stuff at Sick Children's, but Dr. Kraftchuk was retiring. And so we didn't know what to do. There was a new person. And I had written to them and said, this is the best time to get somebody because this is somebody who's got a vision for the future and who is going to be a leader for many years. And they said, oh, you know what? We were going to give the uh, award to somewhere else in the country, actually. I think it was in British Columbia. Sorry, British Columbia. Yeah. And they uh, gave you that. So you ended up in the pediatric area, which was really neat because later on, fast forward many years, actually, through all of the stuff that you did at these many fellowships, one of the hooks of really being able to get you at Sunnybrook Hospital 
was because you have the pediatric background and Sunnybrook just had received all of the pediatric neonatal cases, et cetera, from Women's College Hospital through a provincial process. And I said, look, we're terrified about doing that. We don't know anything about it. We need to have somebody who actually is a bona fide expert in pediatric dermatology. And that was really, in my mind anyways, the hook on top of all your other qualifications that made it workable for us. And I think that's still important. It's still relevant. We still have that high-risk clinic and all those things. So. Yeah, definitely. And I think that led the way to, to another a- area of interest of mine, which is pregnancy and dermatology. Because, you know, I remember thinking, well, if I'm going to look af- after the kids or the babies, I might as well look after the moms as well. And so I started to develop this um, interest in pregnancy dermatology and just the specific dermatoses of pregnancy, just treating severe skin diseases in pregnant women, knowing that they were going to be in Sunnybrook when they deliver because they're high-risk pregnancies. And then I would have this like long-term relationship with them and their babies if in case their babies had something to. So it sort of just kind of fell into place. And I, I really have to say that part of my career is is very, very fulfilling. There's not a lot of resources for women who have severe skin diseases in pregnancy, and there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding about that. I have to say, I've really, really enjoyed being able to help that particular group of patients throughout my career. So again, serendipitously, that happened. Yeah, who you can't plan this. And the parents are terrified, you know, and I had contacts at sick kids and we'd often say, look, you know, can you give us a hand here? What can you do? But the distance was obviously from downtown Toronto to midtown Toronto at Sunnybrook. And you've got all these pregnancy issues as well as the neonatal issues. It really was very, very helpful to see you take over that whole area of the pediatric rashes. Yeah. And it was nice to have a connection to sick kids, right? Because then I could easily call the people there and just explain to them what happened. And you know, if we needed to transfer a baby, we could do it and have a good working relationship and have continuity of care. You know, from me seeing them in Sunnybrook and then eventually moving them to SickKids, to my colleagues and friends there. I mean, Elena Pope has really been one of my kind of most important mentors aside from you. So I think that relationship, both personally and professionally, has really worked um, in connecting those two institutions together. Yeah, it's really important in Toronto because we do have, there is pediatrics now scattered around the city, but for many years, it's quite unique, I think, in many places to have all of the pediatrics in one place. It has some you know, obvious benefits, but on the other hand, there's also issues, and we're facing those issues again now. So do you want to talk about what you're still doing at SickKids? Yeah, so I, I mean, my practice at SickKids is now ex- almost exclusively pediatric psoriasis, but the connection has kind of come full circle to sick kids because what happens is when kids graduate from sick kids, you know, when they turn 18, um, a lot of children with chronic skin diseases need continuity of care. So a lot of those children come to me. So a lot of like, let's say the morphia kids come to me or the CTCL kids come to me or bad atopics, bad psoriasis, just anything really where they need to transition to adult care. And because I'm familiar with both models of care, I find that the transition is much simpler and I can help the kids through that transition from being a child and having your parents with you and them directing your care 
to transitioning to taking over your care and being responsible for your own health as a young adult. In fact, I remember one of the cases that I took over from one of the docs at SickKids, we actually had a Zoom call with the family before they even first came to me in Sunnybrook, where you know the SickKids doc, me and the patient, we all Zoomed together and kind of had a small introduction so that by the time I see them in Sunnybrook, we already had a relationship. So I think it's that connection that facilitates this smooth transition and really does improve patient care, I find. You know, it's interesting when, having worked at SickKids myself, it was challenging when you have things from neonates who weigh almost nothing and you're looking at teenagers and, and it's that sort of spectrum. They're such different beings. Uh, it can't all be the same. And there are specific issues, especially as one goes through adolescence, goes through hormonal changes, et cetera. There are all kinds of things that make it a different disease. And then I think at the other end of the spectrum, though, another unique group are, for instance, like the veterans at Sunnybrook. You have people who may well be into their hundreds. And when you start getting into these really older patients, it's another set of challenges. And I think, and you're still involved with that too, aren't you? Definitely. I became even more involved, I think, during COVID because we had to provide care to the veterans in the veterans wing and keep them safe. So I, uh, during COVID, I would actually go to the veterans wing and do the clinic there and do procedures there. I have to say that was a bit of a challenge because we're not set up to do procedures at the veterans wing, but I felt like this was something we had to do because otherwise it would just delay care for all of these veterans who needed, you know, care for their skin cancers and various rashes and all of that, mostly skin cancers. But you're right, it is it's a very interesting thing to care for, you know, a very young group of patients, like the teenagers, you know, young adults. And then, you know, one day of my week is basically caring for a patient population where the average age is 98 <laughs> at the veterans wing. The other day I had a patient who was 101. It's really, really interesting, actually, to listen to their stories about, you know, World War II, let's say. I remember having a fellow come with me who was a World War II enthusiast and just hearing all the stories. I mean, my, my grandfather was a World War II veteran in the Philippines as well. So I, I do have a soft spot for that part of world history. And it's really, really fulfilling to be able to, even if we don't, you know, cure all their skin cancers, but sometimes it's really painful and they just need comfort and, and make sure that, you know, nothing gets out of hand. That's been a really, really nice part. And that's why I keep doing it, even though there are challenges in, in terms of, you know, resources and things like that. Yeah, it's really important that it's getting, it's changing over the years, but the challenges are becoming even bigger, I think. And I do remember when we started going over there and then talking to, it was very much like at SickKids, you were talking to the family who were the children, but the children, uh, you know, there was like the uh, daughter in San Francisco and the, and so you had to get on these like uh, phone calls and try and figure out if you can answer everybody's questions about dad, who's 120 or something. And it was very interesting. And also we had some very famous people come through, including people who had taught me over the years. And it was interesting. I agree. I really found that very engaging and very important. And I'm really glad that Sunnybrook has stayed invested in the veteran. And so the, between the children and the older people, in between, we have diversity issues. And that's another field that has always been there in dermatology, but finally is getting proper attention. And even 
in some big reviews that I'm involved with now, I, I'm still surprised when I say, well, are we going to have photographs of any kind? Oh, so, you know, I, I have to say, well, it's not liver disease. It, it's not like you have a number that tells you what the person's doing or an enzyme that you measure or something like that. You actually have to see these things and know what they mean. And if I can really be blunt, I would say many of the patients who sent us pictures, and most patients are actually better than the doctors who sent us pictures, but to see a picture that looks like a close-up of a piece of a pizza is not really helpful diagnostically. And it doesn't tell you how widespread it is. It doesn't tell you about systemic symptoms, as you know. So that whole area too of diversity. And so basically from your perspective now through the university and all the other things, what are the highlights coming up for you in areas of diversity? Well, I was involved in medical education and, and still am, but I mean, as you know, I, I was kind of leading the undergraduate dermatology curriculum for a dozen years. It sounds crazy to say that, but a dozen years. And you could really see the evolution of this issue of diversity in medical school education, especially in dermatology, where we couldn't find good pictures of, you know, just regular skin diseases, atopic dermatitis, psoriasis, you know, fungal infections. It was so hard to find it. And I remember when I used to bring in, when we could bring in patients in person so that the medical students could kind of interact with the patients in person. I, I really did make it a point to make sure that we had patients who representative of the city we live in, which is Toronto, a very diverse city. And so that was a specific objective that I had when I used to bring in patients. But, you know, when we turned virtual during COVID, it was very, very hard to find photos. And so when I turned that over to Erin, Erin Dalkey did a, such a great job in making sure that we incorporated the true diversity of skin of all colors, basically, into the medical student curriculum for dermatology. And the work still continues to this day. I think it's very, very important work. And it's, it's funny that you say that because, you know, I trained in the Philippines. And so to me, seeing things, seeing lesions in patients with skin of color was like a normal thing. And then when I moved here, I realized, oh, no, this is something that we need to actually talk about because it is different. It's very different from person to person and patient to patient. So um, this issue of diversity is a work in progress, but I think it is I mean, you've led the charge here for many years, not just for dermatology education, but I think for just in terms of keeping our division diverse in every way, shape or form. I credit that you are, you know, way ahead of your time as always. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting in dermatology and, and it is nice to have that diversity. And then I always did that, but never really thought about it until Beth O'Brien was giving a talk and she talked about different generations. And suddenly I realized that people who I see as my colleagues are in a totally different generation than I am and see things very differently, which is a strength. Definitely. But on one hand, you, you sort of don't really think about it. And you know the programs that you championed and created for education of the medical students was really impactful. And I, I'm, I'm so glad, that, first of all, that you did it. And secondly, that I didn't have to do a lot of work for it. And that I even got to rove around a little after doing some of them just to look behind the mirror, you know, the hidden mirror sort of thing, and see the enthusiasm of these groups of students as they would lean over to look at a patient and really see the skin, not just think they saw it, but really see it. 
and then to hear the patient's story about what it meant to have eczema. But, you know, we have, I think, there are many advantages in Toronto, but one is diversity in Toronto is really diverse. And you see people from regions you maybe never even heard of. And, you know, so with all of that, I mean, it makes it very real. And I think we have a really great atmosphere for that. It doesn't take much. You sit down in a mall to have a coffee and you can see all kinds of things in terms of the people who walk by and the couples and the kids. And it's all so different. And they're not just patients. I mean, dermatology, I don't know how it was in the Philippines, but we always feel we're undervalued when we see people who are experts in medicine or experts in whatever and come in and show you a tiny little red spot and say, you mean you've seen worse than this? And it's just, it's so depressing. And, and you know, I, for the many, many decades that I was at Sunnybrook, actively in practice, about 40 years almost, I always asked people in internal medicine, come and do a clinic with us one day. And I can tell you the name of everybody who did come because there was no one who ever took me up on it no one. If they had a problem with the skin and they were actually open-minded, they would drag the patient to our clinic and say, look at this. What is it? But would they ever come to see what we actually saw and how we managed it? Sadly, no. Never. It's unbelievable to me. I mean, it's kind of crazy what we manage on an outpatient basis in our clinics, in, in Sunnybrook in particular. Like, you know, patients with blisters all over, practically no skin left, you know, erythrodermic patients. I'm sure these patients walk into the ER and the ER doc is horrified of how bad their skin disease is. But, you know, we take them into clinic and we're like, all right, let's go. Let's fix this. Well, you know, you'll see me frequently, but you'll be able to go home. I look around our clinic every day and I, I look at our colleagues and I'm impressed every day about what we do. And I agree. I think it is very, dermatology is very severely underappreciated. And hopefully, you know, with a concerted effort from the specialty, we'll be able to make people realize what we do as a dermatologic community for patients. I mean, and how it really does, one, save lives and two, changes lives. I think that is the most important part of our specialties. People don't realize how much having a skin disease really impacts your life, period, in every aspect of it. And especially, that's why I love treating, you know, teenagers. Because I feel like that those are, or preteens, those are formative years. And so when I, let's say, do my psoriasis clinic and I have, you know, a 10, 11 year old who's covered in psoriasis and the parents are like, you know, I don't, let's just put creams on them because I don't want to put them in danger. I think it's part of my job to make the parents realize how devastating to a life having severe skin diseases and how, yes, you might not. They're probably thinking physical side effects, but they're not thinking psychological side effects and how this disease impacts their child's, you know, career, uh, choice of friends, choice of clothes, choice of activities, all of that. And then when you clear them, they're like a totally different person. And I've followed these kids now for, you know, I have kids now who are getting married, who one is a cop, one is a nurse at St. Mike's. Like, you know, it's really, really nice to see how these lives have been transformed just because now they can do whatever it is they actually wanted to do without having to bother with flakes coming off their skin and slathering creams, you know, for half an hour every day. It's so fulfilling to see that. 
that's beautifully said. And I, I agree. I really have always enjoyed. It's sad that we enjoy it in a way because to, to see the the chaos of somebody who comes in, who's you know fifteen or sixteen, and the parents are there, and many times there are distractions. The parents are, and you know that my my you know the famous one to me is always. But he's such a good looking boy. I go, that's fine. But you know we know that one pimple causes as much anxiety as twenty pimples, and studies show that. So. You know, you can't do that. I mean, I always try to reassure the, the patient who is not the parent that, you know, we're we're not going to be happy until they're happy and we're going to work on it, right? And, you know, you, you just try so hard to make it work out. And when it does, you know, I have to say when I retired and we were doing all these virtual assessments, many of those, I would say a lot, were from the kind of people you describe, people who got through their teens and were really happy that somebody actually cared enough to do something. And even if we didn't have the right drugs at the time, we just kept coming back at it, coming back at it until we did. And then as you say, they just, they blossom like a, like a flower in the desert. You know, they just blossom and are, are so grateful for every day, you know, just to look in the mirror and to do things with other people and who knows what to travel. I mean, there's so many things that, that really work out. I do remember when I was a medical student, First patient I saw with severe psoriasis really had an impact on me. And I was a medical student. I was working in a dermatologist's office in the community. A man came in who was probably in his mid-30s, suit, tie, very you know professional. And the dermatologist said, well, let's see how your skin looks. And he took off his jacket. And he was basically covered everywhere except his face and his neck with thick plaques of psoriasis. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, and that's... It's that thing. And at the other end of the spectrum is when we started doing clinical trials at uh, Women's College, we were doing some for eczemas, very early days of these. And a guy came in from way out of town to be in the study. And he showed me a bit on his hand. And I said, okay, about the size of a quarter, you know? And I said, okay. And look, look, can I see the rest? He goes, well, no, that's, that's what I have. I said, you know, this was for moderate to severe psoriasis, which we defined there. We, we, yeah, and this is serious. And I go, well, Yes and no, <laughs> and, and uh, get get out of my office. But it's really strange. I, you know, it's just hard to get all of that across. But I will say, from what you've described, with the trainees, is in fact, when I look now at the map of trainees in Canada or in Ontario, we have our trainees who are in the north, in the mid north, in the east, in the west. They're all over the place. And I just look back at that and I think, you know what? We were not getting a lot of respect or support over the years. But thanks to great educators like yourself and Scott Walsh and other people who've worked so hard. Um, and and, and that, those are just a couple of names of Sunnybrook, but across the city. But to see people who stimulated that and all these people are out there, which was always something we just wanted to have good dermatology across the country. And it's really happening now. It's really happening. And I, and I think that's really, really great. I'm just going to ask you a little bit about something that's outside of this medical realm, and that is the cosmetic dermatology. Now, we have had some discussions in this with cosmetic dermatology. Do you see that as part of your practice as well? Or, you know, can you do, can people do both really medical dermatology and cosmetic? And I'm guessing if you're the only dermatologist in a town, you're probably going to have to do everything. But, and there's surgical dermatology and all these other things. I don't know. How do you balance all that? 
I mean, I the extent of my cosmetic dermatology is, you know, cutting out cysts and removing a skin tag here and there. I I don't do any Botox or fillers or, or work with devices. It's just that's not what I enjoy. And that's really kind of the biggest factor there. I did do a little bit of cosmetic dermatology in the Philippines. And one of the main reasons I really moved to Canada was because I realized I could do purely medical dermatology here and have a full career, which is a little harder in the Philippines, I find. But this is where my passion lies. And so this is what I've been doing for the past many years. I do think there is a way to do it at the same time. You know, we have colleagues in Sunnybrook and outside Sunnybrook who do both and do a wonderful job at both. I think the most important thing is just to make sure that, you know, whoever is doing cosmetic dermatology is actually trained to do it. As a medical dermatologist, people do come to me, end up in the clinic with, you know, horrible adverse events from, I'm going to put this in air quotes, cosmetic dermatologists who have done more harm than good. And so I, I do think, you know, I think people undervalue the importance of training in aesthetic medicine. But that training, I think, is even more important because, you know, you are treating a patient who didn't have, you know, a physical or a tangible issue to begin with. You're, you're fixing things. And then if you come out with an outcome that's worse than before, then that's truly a tragedy. So I think people undervalue how much knowledge and training you need to have to be a good cosmetic or aesthetic medical practitioner. You can't just put up a, a medispa on the corner and just treat people. And sadly, that's the reality nowadays. And I think it's, it's up to our specialty also to make sure that that doesn't happen and to emphasize to people that dermatology, whether it's medical or aesthetic, is real medicine and needs proper training and proper evaluation. And there's a process that we all need to go through to get to that level of expertise. Yeah, it is. It's challenging. You know, you walk down the street, it's just, you see signs up, you know, like, just, you know, come on in and we can uh, and think, really? Don't go there. <laughs> I remember when Groupon was a thing, you know, patients would come and they're like, you know, so I would treat them for their medical condition. And they say, I want get laser hair removal, let's say, something as straightforward as that. And, you know, they might have, you know, more richly pigmented skin or something. And I will often tell the patients, you know, go to someone who's trained to do this. Don't go to one of those places that will take your group on. Um, and then they would laugh at the group on reference. But really, there, there were, you know, buy five, take 10 treatments or something like that. <laughs> but I think people just think, oh, this is something that I can go to, like, whatever, like that place in the corner and get the same results as if I went to someone who was fully trained to do this. And sadly, that is truly not the case. So I'd like to sort of come to an end, but I want to, you know, when I'm thinking about the future and we've got fantastic surgical oncology, dermatology type stuff, we've got the pediatric, we've got the very old, we've got the in-between, and we have all these other I'm not going to say threats, just challenges coming up, artificial intelligence, misuse, communities online that will see a patient, get paid well, and then send them to you to get them fixed for a tenth of the, what they got paid. And this is all kinds of, I would say, noise and crap out there. But on the other hand, 
considering what we talked about today, dermatology is doing really well and there's a lot that's going on and it's very exciting. But what do you see as the, I guess maybe threats, you know, coming up in the future? I think the biggest threat is that dermatology is getting more complex. Like there's so many facets of it that it's hard to have kind of a central group that will take care of all of it, right? Like, as you said, there's pediatric dermatology, there's aesthetic dermatology, there's medical dermatology, there's surgical dermatology, there's procedures. Like there are so many that we've, I think in the past, just kind of worked in our own little silos, not recognizing that we are all together part of the same specialty. And that if we work together and move the entire specialty forward as a whole group, considering that there are so many facets of it, I think people will recognize the richness of our specialty more. I think there's already so few of us that if we work in even smaller groups, our message gets diluted. But if we come together and make sure that people recognize that all of this is dermatology, all of this is valuable, and all of this is important, we might get a stronger message across and get support that we need, whether that's, I don't know, from the government or your local hospital, all your whatever it is that we're asking support from, and even support from our colleagues to just recognize the importance of dermatology in medicine, I think it'll give us a stronger voice. And I think things are moving towards that direction. You know, the CDA, I think, has encouraged more and more people to be involved from different aspects of dermatology. And it's still challenging because, as he said, there's lots of kind of threats from outside. And also there's inertia and people are tired and COVID was tough. But I think as we get our bearings now, I'm very hopeful and optimistic that, you know, we will get to a point where whatever you're doing in dermatology, we can all get together and kind of move the specialty and elevate the specialty as a whole. Well said. Well said. And it's very positive. Really appreciate that. I want to thank you very much, but also I just to make sure people know that we run a meeting together called Glide. And it's just been a privilege to work with you on that. And that little special meeting has been, a, I think, a, just a joy in seeing people get together with companies who make therapies for dermatology and speakers who come from all over the place to teach in a very small environment. And, you know, when I look at the big meetings in the world that everybody goes to, and I've gone to these, I think you learn more one day in our meeting than you do in maybe four or five days in some of these other global meetings. There's only so much you can take away also. And so I keep looking forward to the next glide and the more future interactions together. Yeah, I really enjoy, you know, I think we both work very hard at making sure that our content is relevant and enjoyable. And I do really have warm, fuzzy feelings when that meeting runs. I mean, it's very scientific and very, you know, medical. But also, I love seeing just the community come together and be able to talk in an open and non-judgmental fashion where people can just ask questions of what you see about patients you see in real life. Like, you know, I think when we envisioned that meeting, it was really for people who are in the trenches, seeing patients day to day who face these challenges because we, we have such complex patients. And so 
I think, you know, four years now that we've been doing Glide, I think we've really worked hard and I am very proud of our tiny meeting, but I think it's really, really important. And, you know, I hope we continue to do it. Thank you. And thank you for joining together in that venture, as well as this one today and taking time out of your very busy schedule as we could hear Remya to talk about what's happening really in dermatology in Canada. I'd say it's a really, you know, uh, very broad view and a very clear passion and, and forward-looking approach that you have. It's very, very much respected and, and people look up to you and you're a great role model for your trainees who come through and say, oh, I went to dermatology because I thought it was interesting, but this is really cool. I didn't know that. And it is fun. We're very lucky to be able to do that. Anything else you want to add, Perla, that you think we may have left out? No, not really. I just wanted to thank you because, you know, a huge part of why I'm here today is because of the first chance meeting with you and several other serendipitous things that have happened over my career where you were involved. It will take a whole other podcast to tell all those stories because there really have been so many instances where I thought, all right, this is this is going to be the end of the road and I'm going to have to like, you know, pivot and go back to the Philippines or whatever. And I don't know, the universe, I think, serendipitously has made encounters for the two of us so that I would be here. And so that quote from Charles Darwin about, you know, just adapting to change, I never, ever imagined ever in a million years that I would end up in Toronto filling your shoes as interim division head. I'd never have imagined that. But I think I've been willing to adapt to that change with mentorship from you and my many other mentors and to just kind of take advantage of opportunities and try to do my best at least when those opportunities arise. And here we are. So I wanted to say thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. It's a good gig, I have to say. And then one day you realize, you know, you're the one who's doing it now. And like you said, and you're teaching and you're guiding and you're mentoring and you're doing all these things. And that's good. It's nice to see it go forward and become a standard. We certainly have to work hard in dermatology to get all these balls in the air and get it all together. Anyways, Perla, thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. Look forward to working together with you again in the next glide. And thank you so much for taking your time today. Thank you. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of Sheer Listening Pleasure, please do share it with your friends and colleagues. On our next episode, Neil will chat with another guest from the world of dermatology. To subscribe, go to www.derm.city or find the SLP podcast at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or, really, wherever you get your podcasts. The producer is Jeremy Visser. Research for this episode came from Christella Teller-Ruiz, John Evans, and Kylie Rebenick. Support for this podcast comes from Amgen Canada. Amgen Canada serves dermatology patients throughout Canada by delivering vital medicines to them. In addition, Amgen contributes to developing new therapies, or new uses for existing medicines, in partnership with many of Canada's leading healthcare, academic, research, government, and patient organizations. Today, tens of thousands of Canadians use Amgen medicines every year. Learn more at www.amgen.ca. Send your comments to slp at chronicle.org. Until next time, be well.